Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. James Nestor has written for Outside, Scientific American, The Atlantic, Dwell, The New York Times, not to mention has appeared on national TV shows including ABC's Nightline and CBS Morning News. And his latest book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, is a runaway bestseller and just might be one of the most important books of 2020 as we focus on our breath as it's a powerful tool to strengthen our immune system. I am beyond excited that he's with us today as we explore the power of our breath. James, welcome. So great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So I love your book. I'll start there. Everyone listening, talk about right book, right time, right message, a powerful read, uh, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. I got to say, you had me at the title, Uh, (laughs) but the the book is phenomenal and we're going to talk about it. But let's start the the why and your personal journey is pretty powerful. Let's let's start there. The why behind the book. Well, it was actually two things that that happened that inspired me to to go deeper into breathing research. First one is I had a very weird experience uh, a while ago, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, I had been having chronic respiratory problems. I surfed a lot, was exercising a lot, eating right, but I was having all these breathing difficulties. So uh, a doctor suggested I go and check out a breathing class and as I was in that class after about 10 minutes, just breathing in this rhythmic pattern, I just started sweating profusely like crazy, far, far beyond anything like jogging or working out, some other kind of sweat. A little disarming, but also pretty fascinating. Um, and no one could really describe what happened. I asked my doctor and she gave me a bunch of BS explanations that didn't make any sense because she didn't really know. But it wasn't until several years after that that I met free divers who showed me the true capacity of breath and the, the true potential of it. Um, they were able to harness breath to hold their breath for eight, nine minutes at a time, dive to depths far below what scientists thought were possible. But they said the applications of breathing also extended to land. You could help use it to heal yourself, to heat yourself, to do all of these incredible things. So I got more interested and went out into the field. But you had like serious respiratory issues. It was definitely mess for someone who's pretty active. It was becoming an issue with your health and well-being. Yeah, and I just thought it was a normal part of of being. Everyone I knew either had chronic sinusitis or they had asthma or they were getting bronchitis, just like me. I I had mild pneumonia year year after year, um, just the, a mild form of right when it slips from bronchitis into pneumonia. I was able to took took the Z pack, moved on, and and so many people have such chronic respiratory problems. It's so prevalent right now that that we're not really paying attention to it. It's just considered normal. Normal. But the more I started peering into this this field and talking with the researchers, they said there's nothing normal about a species being constantly plugged up or mouth breathing or having all of these other issues. So that's something that that slowly revealed itself at the beginning of the research was not only the potential where breathing could bring us, but how poorly we're breathing. The vast majority of us are breathing right now. 
So a couple points. So you talk about capacity and in the book, there's amazing data in here. And you say 27 departments at the National Institute of Health, the NIH, are devoted to lung, eyes, skin, disease, ears, go on and on, but nose and sinuses aren't represented in any of them, which I, is mind-blowing because you have another great data point where between ages 30 and 50, we lose 12% of our capacity with women faring far worse than men. And if we make it to 80, it's like, who would sign up for 80 right now? I, you know, that's pretty good, I'm there. But then we lose 30%. We're able to take in 30% less air than we did in our 20s. So mind-blowing, how have we not been focused on this? Because we're focused on pathologies. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like, I, I love Western science. Um, I love Western medicine. I think it's fantastic. I probably wouldn't be alive without it, you know? When you have a cancer or you have to have a lung transplanted, what a wonderful thing all these technologies are. But uh, my father-in-law is a pulmonologist and my brother-in-law works at an ER, so he's an ER doctor. And they said that, you know, you get help when you really, really need help. If you have mild chronic issues, it's kind of like come back when you're really bad and we can help you. In the meantime, take this and that and it's just going to help abate the symptoms the symptoms. And so this is widely known. This is not controversial what I'm saying. It's just they don't have the capacity to to really train people in breathing. Uh, you think about a doctor who sees 15 patients an hour, about five minutes with each patient, can't sit down with them and say, okay, let's take a deep breath in and take a deep. It's not going to happen. So I, I believe in the West, that's one of the main reasons we have not heard about breathing, breathing therapy, and breathing awareness. Same problems with nutrition and all those other yeah, same thing. We don't have time. It's all, and especially with COVID right now, uh, nutrition is coming to the forefront, and breath work needs to come to the forefront. Absolutely, and and it is because you know, as as Westerners, we only really get interested in something when we're about to fall off the cliff, and we're like, whoa, 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 okay, maybe we should uh, focus on our breathing. But you know, preventative maintenance is the best way to go with with anything, um, and that certainly holds true for breathing, and just the difference that you can make to your immune function to how your body operates, to your lung function, to your lung capacity by breathing properly, it's, a, it's an enormous difference. So if we rewind a bit, where did we go wrong? So let's talk about the history of breath. When and why did we stop breathing correctly? Yeah, you know, I had always thought that it was environmental or psychological tied to anxiety, which is true. In really smoggy places, it's hard to breathe properly, and you can have a bunch of respiratory problems to that. But one story I was not expecting to find in this book, uh, I thought I had had it all, all carved out before I went into the field, because that's how nonfiction works. You write book proposal, then you go out and write about it. It's completely wrong. I had to throw out about six months of research once I discovered that so much of the blame has to do with our evolution. It's anatomical. And by that, I mean our faces over the past few hundred years, about 400 years, have been shrinking, 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 growing longer, mouths have growing smaller. That sounds nuts because a lot of people say, what is the evolutionary advantage of a mouth shrinking? Because evolution means progress, but it completely does not. It means change. Um, and we've been changing, but not in ways that benefit our health 
at all. If you look at the number of chronic diseases out there, if you just look at our faces, if you look at your teeth. So if you looked at a skull that was older than 400 years, you could go back 4,000 years, 40,000 years, doesn't matter. It's going to have straight teeth. There's about a 99.9% .9 chance it's going to have straight teeth. No wisdom teeth extracted, no braces, no orthodontics, straight teeth, huge mouth. Modern skulls, 90% of them have some form of malocclusion, uh, which means some sort of crookedness in their teeth or problems with their jaws. Because our mouths have grown so small that teeth don't know where to go. So they grow in crooked. And the other problem with having a mouth that's too small is your airways too small, which makes it harder to breathe. You look at sleep apnea, you look at snoring, you look at some forms of asthma, chronic sinusitis. It's because we are so plugged up here. Um, and it's a shocking thing. And for people who don't believe this, because I didn't believe it, I went and looked at hundreds of ancient skulls and modern skulls. But you can just go online and look at, look at ancient skulls, look at the teeth of ancient skulls, and then go look in the mirror or go look at your family or go look on the street and, and see how our teeth are. And so to summarize, breathing through the mouth, yeah. Not, not so good. Breathing through the nose, good. In, in the simplest terms, for the in the in the simplest terms, <laughs> yes. Just like any other of the fifty four hundred different mammals out there, they all breathe through the nose. We have become mouth breathers because one of the reasons is our mouths have grown so small. There's less room back there. Um, also, it's environmental as, as well. Adenoids get inflamed, tonsils get inflamed, chronic sinusitis. You have to breathe through your mouth, and breathing through the mouth is bad news. Yeah, can you just talk about that a little? I'm curious, like what happens? I think it's like three seconds between an inhale and an exhale on an average, I want to say. Do I have mm -hmm. that right? Like what happens when you do that through the mouth versus through the nostrils? Mm -hmm. Like what's. So if you were to cut a human skull in, in half and, and look at it, you would see this enormous amount of space, about the, the size of a billiard ball, a little smaller than a tennis ball, that takes up all of our sinuses even come up here. So in that space, you would see this labyrinth. It looks so similar to a shell that this is called the nasal concha. Um, and our noses function so similar to seashells, which help keep invaders out which is why they have that long maze leading to the the organism that's inside of it our noses do the same thing so this is not a straight line into the back of our throat it has to this air has to curve and twist as it's doing that it's getting heated up we are removing particulate we are adding moisture to it so by the time it reaches our lungs it is conditioned so that we can absorb so much more of that oxygen more efficiently. So it's also harder. There's that pressure. That pressure is good. You get the negative pressure, that vacuum coming in and the positive pressure coming out. That pressure helps push, push the tissues in the airway back a little further and open up the airway. So all of these things allow us to get about 20% more oxygen breathing equivalent breaths through the nose than we do through the mouth. So it's like your built-in filtration system, if you will. It's not not only filtration. It's like an HVAC system. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> so it's it's filtration, but it's but it's also pressurizing and, and conditioning, and it's just it, it's digesting in some ways that that air before it gets to the lungs. And you can think of the lungs as almost like an external organ, right? If you're breathing through your mouth, <sighs> there's no pressure, there's no filter, there's there's minimal heat, minimal moisture. And you are exposed to whatever is in your environment. If you live in a city or live in a place with a lot of pollutants and a lot of viruses in the air, you don't want to breathe this this raw, unfiltered air at all. And most of us are, are breathing through our mouths. Uh, when it comes <laughs> to children, it's probably over 50%. Depends on the study. They vary. But the estimates are around 25 to, to on the higher end, 50% of the population are habitual mouth breathers. Um, and this is not only will it expose you to this, this untreated air, but if you do it when you're a kid or like this, it will affect the skeletature and how your face grows. Wow. So yeah, it's so common. It's called adenoid face. When your adenoids get inflamed, you can only breathe through your mouth. These kids go like this and, and it's, you can, you can, once you see this, you can spot it wherever. So, wow. So, it's July, or excuse me, it's August. It's August 20. This is what happens in COVID. Everything just blends in. It's, it's August 2020, uh, COVID, and the power of the breath. And so in my mind, as I mentioned earlier on, like this, is, this needs to be at the forefront. So can you talk a little bit about you know, what research is out there and why breath needs to come to the forefront in the context of COVID and strengthening our immune system and our ability to stave off this terrible virus. Sure. So um, the person who won a Nobel laureate, Louis Ignaro, won this, won the award for his work in nitric oxide in the 1990s. And he released a uh, new, it wasn't a study, it was a, an opinion paper, a summary of his research and how breathing can help defend us against things like viruses. And he believes it could help uh, directly defend us against COVID in certain ways. So by doing that, that beyond what the nose does, humidifying air, conditioning it, all, all slowing it down, all of that, it also releases a perfusion of nitric oxide, which is this amazing molecule that plays an essential role in vasodilation. And it also nitric oxide also interacts with, with pathogens, with viruses. So when SARS rolled around in, what was it, 2004, they were exposing mammalian cells to nitric oxide. And those cells in that presence were able to live so much longer. So, so Ignara believes that by breathing through the nose, we can not only help bolster our immune function, but we can also help defend us against this, this virus. Another uh, element of, of nasal breathing is when you're breathing through the mouth, and especially when you're breathing too much, you tend to place your, your body in a state of stress. So your body associates that breathing too much as stress which causes inflammation. So by breathing through the nose and having that boost of nitric oxide, you can reduce inflammation, you can breathe more efficiently, you can keep yourself in a state where your body is able to better heal itself and defend itself. And this is so important. Uh, Dr. Stephen Porges, well-known researcher, has been talking about the role of breathing in, in, in health, immune health, 
in the age of COVID. So you mentioned stress and look, we're so many people are anxious right now. It's generation anxiety and rightfully, rightfully so there's a lot to be anxious about. So can you talk a bit about how the way we breathe can affect anxiety? Yeah. So populations who have fear-based disorders, anxiety, even uh, anorexia, panic, and also asthmatics will traditionally be breathing far more than they need to. And they also tend to mouth breathe. So by, by breathing that much, again, you're placing your, yourself in, into the state of, of stress. And they've found that by simply changing their breathing habits to breathe slower and to breathe less, they were able to really attenuate so many symptoms of both anxiety and asthma. The work of Alicia Muret at Southern Methodist University has done, done a bunch of research in this. And, and the reason is it's not just psychosomatic, it's not just a placebo. If you right now take a breath in to a count of about three, and then exhale to a count of about eight, just real slowly. If you, now do that again and place your hand over your heart into about three. Now exhale to a count of about 10 maybe. You're gonna feel your heart slowing down. The longer you exhale, the more slowly you breathe. So that is because you're eliciting that parasympathetic side of your nervous system. And that's the side that reconnects all your organs with your brain that increases circulation to all of these other organs less needed in the fight or flight stimulation uh, in the sympathetic state. And you can simply do this by breathing. And we know it's not a placebo effect or whatever because you can measure what happens to your heart rate variability breathing in very slow breaths and you can measure what happens to your blood pressure within a couple minutes i've been able to to plummet my blood pressure about 10 to 15 points and some people even more and again if you don't believe me put a cuff on uh, when you're talking or when you're at work hang out for a few minutes breathe at a rate of about six seconds in six seconds out even longer if, if you want and check your blood pressure afterwards, especially effective for people who have higher blood pressure like me. So we're sold, I'm sold on, a, on, on breath work and like I'm, I'm assuming our audience is chomping at the bit right now saying, okay, I, I'm in, how, how do we increase lung capacity? Where, I, where do I start? So I'm gonna go back to the free divers because they're like the, 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 the pros, the LeBron James of lung capacity. <laughs> Uh, increasing it by 30 to 40%. So how, how can we do what, maybe we're not capable, you tell me, but how, how, can we, how can we achieve that? Yeah. So when I first saw Freedivers, I was at this competition and there were small people there. There were tall people there. There were large people there. There were small people there from, from any different country, you name it, from Venezuela to Russia, whatever. They all had these enormous chests. It didn't matter what size. They were not born this way, okay? They did this by power of will. Herbert Nietzsche um, has a lung capacity of about 12 liters, and the average uh, adult male lung capacity is about six. He was not born with 12 liter lungs. So, and, and it's so obvious seeing this from free divers. So 
If you look at what yoga is and what it was first intended to be, it was a technology of breathing, period. This vinyasa flow and all of that, that came about about 100 years ago. And people are like, no, it's not. It's ancient. It's, it's not. So what you do in yoga is you stretch. You stretch open your rib cage and you breathe into one side and then you stretch and breathe into the other. So if you're doing yoga, you are already helping to stave off that entropy in your lungs, okay? Uh, light exercise has been found to increase it about 15% lung capacity. But the, the key is not to do these forced, really hard breaths like, oh, I'm just gonna kick my lungs butt, I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, it's to take these very soft breaths and loosen up your rib cage and loosen up all these muscles slowly. And you can do this by extending the range of your diaphragm. So if you take your hands and you place your thumbs towards your back and put them up, we'll stand up here, you put them up like that, um, and you breathe in through your nose, what you want is your hands to move out laterally. Patrick McEwen, a renowned breathing therapist, showed this to me. Not just your stomach coming out, which, which we know in yoga, but Moving out laterally, that is the most efficient and most most profound diaphragmatic movement. And that is going to allow you to access more of your lungs. And it's, you know, another reason why these slower, deeper breaths are, are so important is because blood is gravity dependent. And the lower lobes of your lungs are going to be able to absorb more oxygen than higher up than all of this dead space. So you can get a lot more oxygen with a lot fewer breaths, which saves your body a lot of wear and tear if you're breathing properly. So don't breathe through the heart, breathe through your stomach, essentially. Slow and low. This, this slow is Slow and low, I love it. So just, just a, a forewarning, because I've gotten a few hundred emails about this, is um, when you're practicing uh, a pranayama technique, or you're practicing Kriya, or you're practicing Tuma or whatever, and you're, these techniques have you breathe through your mouth or they have you <sighs> lion breath or they have you breathe through your chest, perfectly fine because that's a technique. I'm talking about habitual right. chronic habits and slow, low and, and less is, is what you want. So I'm glad you brought up chronic habitual habits because I'm so curious, how did you start? How, how should we start? What do you recommend as someone listening saying, all right, I, I want to start breathing through my nose and properly slow and low right now? I think the first key is to acknowledge it. And that's why I set up the book this way is to say, hey, we've got all these breathing issues that, that aren't being acknowledged or, or realized. We're treating all these other symptoms attached to breathing. But if we treat the breathing itself, we can take care of so many of these other problems. So once you acknowledge it and recognize it, you can then become aware of how you're breathing throughout the day. And just that awareness is a huge game changer. I found that my breathing was so erratic throughout the day. I was wearing a pulse ox and gauging. I had all this stupid gear to, to gauge exactly what was happening, especially sitting down at a computer in the morning. There's something called email apnea, which like 80% of office workers has, where your breathing just, just goes to hell. The moment you sit down, oh, I have 50 emails, Twitter's on, Instagram's on. Um, and that's when you, you really need to focus the most and get your breathing down. So acknowledging it, becoming aware of it. And then, you know, as I laid out in the foundation of the book, nasal breathing all the time. I don't care if you're working out. I don't care if you're jogging, 
if you're doing CrossFit, it is so much more efficient to be breathing through your nose all the time. It may take you a while to get there, but once you get there, this is the pathway that we've evolved to breathe in. Go look at other animals. Look at a horse when it's at a full sprint. It's not breathing from its mouth. Dogs will open their mouths to thermoregulate. Look at them when they're sleeping. Um, so after, after the nose, you want to exhale more. A lot of people think deep breaths are just <gasps> putting air on air on air. You want to lift that diaphragm up when you exhale. Take a full exhale so that you can sink it down a little more. When you're sinking down the diaphragm, you're able to massage those organs. And I, this is something I just learned that I'm going to be putting in the new edition of the book. But you're able to massage those uh, the organs in a certain way and stimulate more lymph fluid release. So this is a way of detoxifying your body. Your diaphragm works like a pump to get rid of lymph fluid. So I could go on with the other no, hands, but I have a feeling I'm just talking your ear off. No, I, I love it. I'm curious. So how long did it take you to get from a habitual mouth breather? And I'm curious, what, what were you back then? Like 90 mouth, 10 nose, and where are you today? And how long did it take? Yeah, um, I, I knew that at night it was 100% mouth. I knew this because I thought it was just normal for everyone to go to sleep with just a huge bottle of water by the bedside and wake up with a dry mouth hit it go back to sleep wake up nothing normal about that so that was the first thing i took care of and that's the first thing i suggest people take care of once you're aware of it that's a good start in daytime but a lot if for a third of your life you're breathing you're snoring you have sleep apnea you're breathing through your mouth that's the first thing first thing to do and what i found that was very helpful uh, was to place a little piece of tape on my lips um, to help train my jaw shut. This does not mean a fat piece of duct tape. This sounds sketchy. People think it's some hostage situation. No, no, no. Uh, this, I heard about this from the doctor of speech language pathology at Stanford, and I heard about it from a ton of other doctors since then. So this is blue painter's tape. I wish I had some real... So. You don't have to use this stuff. I just found this on my wall, but it means doing this, just placing it. I can still breathe if I want. <clears throat> I can cough, I can talk, but you just want to train your jaw shut at night. And this alone, I've heard from so many people, has been a complete life changer for people who, some of them aren't snoring anymore. Some of them, their sleep apnea has gone down 80, 90%. So, so how long did it take you? And, and what are you now? Are you 80, 20? Or if you had to guess, I would, you know, writing a book about breathing, people think you're the best super breather on the planet. I'm not. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist who went into this field and talked to some super breathers and talked to a bunch of scientists. Um, but I still have work to do. I think I was a poor breather for so long. Um, I would like to think that I'm aware of my breathing all the time. Right now, talking to you, I'm breathing a lot through my mouth because that's what happens. So I'm aware of that and I'll be sure to establish some proper breathing habits after this interview. Um, so <laughs> when I'm working out, I'm, I'm aware of it all the time. So I, I would like to think I'm just not during the daytime, I'm just not breathing through my mouth unless I'm talking or, or laughing, which is fine. And at nighttime, I know I'm not breathing through my mouth at all because I, I still use the tape. I thought I could just train myself after a few weeks it's been a couple of years and I still use this stuff every single night. And so you, you mentioned nighttime sleep. Can you talk about the connection between proper breath and 
how it can affect your sleep? Yeah, I found this study, which I thought was so interesting and really frightening by the Mayo Clinic. And they found that half of people with insomnia had undiagnosed sleep apnea. That's why they couldn't sleep at night. And half of the people with sleep apnea had insomnia. So they, of, of 1,200 subjects they look at, they looked at 900 were given a pharmaceutical drug, to, to an antidepressant, SSRI, or something else to, to relax them. It turns out that these drugs made their sleeping much worse because they relaxed them too much. So every single one of them, they said, were failing this treatment and were getting worse and worse and worse because they had undiagnosed sleep apnea. So we are just starting to, people are starting to talk about sleep now, how important it is. And all of that's 100% correct. I view the, the first pillar of sleep is you have to be breathing well. You have to be, not be struggling to breathe. When you're talking about 50% of a population snoring and a quarter having choking on itself from sleep apnea, and also another even larger ch chunk suffering from upper airway resistance syndrome. This is such, such bad news. And a lot of it, I don't know how much is associated with the pathway through which we're breathing. I saw that in the Stanford experiment. Uh, opening your mouth, you can do it right now. When you open your mouth, your tongue naturally falls back a little deeper into the throat. When you close your mouth, the tongue naturally will go up towards the upper palate which opens the airway. So just, just the pathway through which we breathe. This isn't gonna help someone with, with extreme ob obesity um, or with, with very severe sleep apnea, but, but for those who have mild or moderate, it can really make a huge difference. Um, sleeping on your side, not sleeping on your back, incline bed therapy, the, these are things that are freely available to anyone and they've been absolute life changers for so many people. So you mentioned uh, techniques earlier. I'm curious your take on some of the popular breathing techniques, whether it's you know box breathing, the Wim Hof method who we've had on here, holotropic, very popular. I'm just curious, like what what's what's your take on all the different techniques? Oh, what I after researching each of these techniques and spending a, a long time in labs studying them, what happened to my my body, and, and looking what happened to other people. I came to the conclusion that so many of them are doing the same thing. And that, that was, you know, towards the end of the book, I was like, it's no coincidence that Sudarshan Kriya, which is very well studied, there's 60 independent studies on it, is almost identical to Wim Hof method, which is almost identical to Pranayama's because they're doing the same. You can call them by different names. You can, um, you know, tell people that what, what they're doing is very specific to that one breathing method, but they're having you breathe very fast and then they're having you breathe very slow. And we know that there's huge benefits to doing this, to de-stressing you, to balancing your nervous system function, to helping um, with, with uh, chronic uh, issues such as even autoimmune issues to asthma. So that that's all been been known, but I think people have been looking at these in these in these different plots in these different silos. But what I've found is there's a reason why they're all having similar benefits for for so many people. So that that's a long way of saying they all work. <laughs> you, well, you know, you you can pick whichever one you you want. I'm curious your take specifically on holotropic. That one seems to be very popular right now. 
So Holotropic, which was developed in the 70s by Stan Groff, whom I interviewed, um, was supposed to replace uh, LSD therapy for people with anxiety, for panic, to have these, these breakthroughs. And Holotropic is the one which, which I have found, there, there's quite a dearth of, of research on it. Uh, we know subjectively that it's very effective for people with severe mental problems, but we don't know exactly what's happening in the body and in the brain. And a lot of the clinicians aren't as interested. They're there to help people and right on, that's, that's awesome. So Holotropic is sitting in a room with loud music for three hours and breathing as hard as you can. Uh, that's, that's it. I've done it. Uh, the exciting thing about this is it looks like um, we are going to be studying this in, in a real way. Electrodes, perhaps fMRIs, uh, blood gases in a lab to see what's, what's really getting stimulated there in the brain. But, but the, the benefit or what Holotropic does, and this is where I think um, this hasn't been communicated very clearly uh, or super clearly by that community, um, is it denies your brain oxygen. It denies your tissues oxygen. People think, oh, I'm getting so much oxygen into my body. The opposite is happening. Um, and that's why people have such powerful experiences is because you're denying certain areas in your brain certain amount of oxygen, which could stimulate the feeling that perhaps you're dying or rebirth or hallucinations. Potentially dangerous at extremes. I don't. I, I talked to Jimmy Ironman, had a long interview with him. He ran 11,000 of these sessions uh, for, for 11,000 people in a hospital. And he didn't have any problems. These are people who had schizophrenia. These were addicts. And he found that they only it only had benefits, a different scale of benefits, sometimes mild, sometimes extremely profound. So when, when you talk to a clinician, someone who's using this stuff all the time, uh, I don't think it's it's any more dangerous than than to be living with chronic anxiety for decades and Got not it. not getting any anything out of it. Uh, I want to say, though, I'm not a doctor and I'm not here to tell someone understood to, you know, for, for three hours and, and then blame me that they, you know, peed their pants or something. So that's 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 not my jam. Understood. What What is I'm curious, what's your go to? Like, do you have a specific practice where you set aside time and what do you what's your go to? Yeah, I think the most important thing that people can do is to start breathing slowly and to start breathing less. That seems counterintuitive, but you wanna breathe as closely in line with your metabolic needs as possible. For the vast majority of us, that means breathing less. So I try, whenever I sit down in the morning, I have my phone, I have this silly app on it that gives me this little tone. So it reminds me to breathe into a count of about six and breathe out to a count of about six. Not pushing it, not just really focused, just, just very casually, very lightly. Just by doing that, you're getting more oxygen to your brain. You're allowing your heart to work with a lot less effort to do more. You're getting more circulation. So if you have cold toes and cold fingers all the time, you can try the slower breathing, and it's going to increase the circulation to your peripherals and your extremities. Um, so I do that quite often. I do, they call it Wim Hof breathing. Some call it Tumo. I do that about three or four times a week. Um, there's an instructor, uh, Chuck McGee, who does these sessions for free and then sends out the recordings for free for anyone. This guy is a selfless saint who 
has managed to completely heal himself of a bunch of chronic conditions by breathing, uh, which is great. And uh, I also try to do Sudarshan Kriya um, as often as I can, maybe once a week. But I think the most important thing is to be conscious of it and, again, to try to breathe in line with your metabolic needs, not way below it and especially not way above it. So we all have to wear masks. It's the cost of living right now. Helpful in focusing on the breath. I find that I'm more conscious of breathing when I'm wearing a mask. And as I've tried to consciously breathe through my nose, I feel like wearing the mask, like, sort of put, puts me in a, the, the right state of mind to, to focus. What's, what's your take on breathing with a mask? And I think it would be better not to have a mask on, but of course, because <laughs> nowadays we, we all have it and it's made people acutely aware of their, their breathing. So the, the best way, if, if you have a pulse oximeter, and these are the real hot items now in the age of COVID, it's interesting to see what happens to your oxygen when you breathe slowly. And I've found that mine can either stay the same or actually go up when I'm breathing very slowly because you're allowing more time for that oxygen to be absorbed in your lungs. So right? what is that device again? Can you a pulse pulse oximeter? Pulse this, oximeter. It sounds these like these are the latest. They're twenty bucks on Amazon or or at your local indie drugstore, <laughs> um, and and they assess your blood sats. So they assess how much oxygen because one of the main indicators of covid is when your your o2 starts going down and sometimes you don't even feel it i mean some of these people registering o2 like down in the 80s or 70s which is normal is about 95 is in the 90s right um so if you're down anywhere below 90 you're in trouble so it this is a great device when you first start exploring breathing and when you especially first start exploring breathing slowly because you'll notice slower and less often gives you more. So that didn't you know, directly answer your question about masks. I think that the benefit, the, the thing that's, that's bad about them is they're hassle to wear, hot air, you know, gotta brush your teeth a lot, otherwise you're, you're suffering those consequences. But the benefits are they've made us acutely aware of breathing. And I think they've, they've helped us to breathe, breathe less which, which is good. Uh, the important thing is just because you have, you have a mask on, don't think you can breathe through your mouth and you're okay. You, you always want to be breathing through your nose. And the science on that is, is so solid. So what you also have in the book, I love, I love the book. Uh, there are all these great takeaways, surprising takeaways. One of them, oh, I read this, I'm, I just started laughing. The, the nose has erectile tissue. Let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about that. One of, one of the many benefits. So it turns out, yeah, and this is the weird stuff you you start learning about when, when you write a book about breathing and, and start talking to, to pros in the, in, the, in the nose world, rhinologists. So it turns out that our noses are coated with the same exact tissue as our genitals, and they respond in the same way. So they will become engorged with blood and become inflamed or that blood leaves and they open back up. And what's so interesting to, to me about this is that our nostrils will open, this erectile tissue will open and close throughout the day. So one nostril will open, and then after about 30 minutes to three or four hours, 
it will softly close and the other will become more dominant. Sometimes both will, will feel open, but throughout the day, like right now, this nostril, my right nostril is so much more open than, than my left. And that's not because I'm congested here. That's because that erectile tissue has become engorged with blood and, and, and gently uh, closed up. So what they found, and this is where it gets even wilder, there's, there's been 20 years of, of studies, probably even more than that, looking at how breathing through one nostril or the other affects us mentally and physically. So breathing through that, and people, yoga people know all about this, breathing through the right nostril is associated with heat, heart rate's going to go up, circulation. So um, you are going to be stimulating the left side, the quote, analytical side of your brain even more. That's clearly been demonstrated in EEG studies. And the left nostril is going to have the opposite effect. It's going to lower your heart rate. Uh, it's going to cool the body. So, and that, that's been well documented. And what I think is fascinating is that our noses, you can do alternate nostril breathing. Probably everyone listening to this already does this, but our noses are already doing this. So they, they are doing alternate nostril breathing throughout the day every day through these natural channels, which to me is pretty, pretty interesting. So something else I thought was really interesting, you know, look, we all love to eat and you talk about chewing, chewing, chewing and breathing. So how can we chew better? Well, there's a reason why our mouths shrunk. Okay. And why we're so messed up and why we're suffering from sleep apnea and all these other respiratory issues. It's because the major reason is because we stopped chewing our food. If you look at when this damage really started coming on, it was right at the time when industrialized processed foods started becoming uh, very well known and, and consumed. Talk about removing the bran and germ from rice, removing the bran and germ from wheat, bottling things, canning things, everything soft. And without having that masticatory stress, especially when you're young, you're not going to build the bone mass. You're not going to work out these muscles. The upper palate is not going to come down properly as it should and really expand your mouth which is why so many of us, present company included, if you have a clean thumb, if you're alone and not, not with other people with, with COVID, you can put your thumb inside your upper palate. And if it's really caved in like mine is, that upper palate is pushing into the upper sinuses, making it harder to breathe. So this is all, all known stuff. And they've studied and has found it's directly correlated to, to chewing. And, and I put chewing under the umbrella of chewing breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. When you have an infant who's been breastfeeding for two years, that takes an incredible amount of stress and coordination and helps to push the face out and open up that airway, which is why kids who have been bottle fed will have a larger chance of having snoring and sleep apnea later on in life. Um, and to me, it makes perfect sense, especially in those first two years, you're developing so quickly. Of course, I was, I was bottle fed and, and I associate some of that with, with my airway problems. I can't tell my mom this too much because that this was just the thing to do. And it's impossible for a lot of people to, to breastfeed. I, I understand this. There's, there's no finger pointing here. I'm just saying this is what's happened before 
kids were breastfed at least two years, sometimes to, to four years. This is how it was done for tens of thousands of years. Only in the past few centuries have we really switched this. So in terms of research, I'm hoping, you know, your book, the attention with COVID, that there's renewed interest, if you will, on, on breath. And so I'm curious what research you're keeping an eye on, what studies, you know, maybe they're, they're happening right now, they're, they're not conclusive yet. Like, what, what, what are you looking at in terms of research and science? I think nitric oxide is is fascinating because now I think there's 14 studies right now administering nitric oxide to COVID patients. We create our own nitric oxide right here. And if we hum, we can increase that nitric oxide 15 fold by humming. So humming side. So like, give me an example. What type of humming? What are we doing? (laughs) You can you can hum whatever you want. You can hum, you know, Iron Man. By Black Sabbath, you can hum uh, whatever the Carpenters. It doesn't doesn't matter. Um, I like your musical humming. range. I like your musical range. Very <laughs> impressive. That, two, two sides. That, maybe we should do another podcast and another topic. That's that's pretty impressive musical range. But, but both '70s bands, though, so I really peg myself with that one. Um, but but lower, I, I believe lower frequencies. I don't know if there's a ton of science on this. Uh, it helps loosen and stimulate that nitric oxide release. And, and we know this, and, and the science again on this is solid. There, there was one researcher, found the study so wild, but he was able to cure up his chronic sinusitis by humming for a certain amount of time, four times a day. If you think about chronic sinusitis is caused by a virus. Sometimes it's caused by a fungal infection, but it's mostly a virus. What does nitric oxide do? It interacts directly with viruses. So the fact that they're now using nitric oxide, they're, they're studying nitric oxide, to use it with patients with with COVID, I'm like, of course they are. So humming, nasal breathing, these are very good things to do. And breathing slowly and staying relaxed. I mean, if you're looking at Stephen Porges uh, released this this fascinating paper looking at the role that inflammation plays in the onset of severe symptoms of COVID. And we know this. You look at people with, with diabetes, you look at people with heart issues, you look at people with what do all these people have is they have inflammation problems. So, so to keep your inflammation down, one of the easiest things you can do beyond eating right and exercise is very important, is to really focus on your breathing and to breathe slower and not to be breathing through your mouth. So, so just, just those few things, it seems so easy to be true. People say, no, no way this is possible. But if you look at the science behind it, it's all there and it's all easily measurable. That's what I love about breathing as well, is this isn't like, a, hey, how do you feel? Oh, I feel better. That's cool. There are machines, and a lot of us have these machines in our house, that can instantly measure how your breathing is affecting yourself. And if you can affect yourself, if you can put yourself into this balanced, relaxed state for a couple minutes, imagine what's going to happen if you can stay that way for a couple days, a couple weeks couple months. Well, we've seen, I've written about these people in the book who have been able to absolutely heal themselves in miraculous ways by switching their breathing. Slow and low. Slow and low. There you go. Well, James, thank you so much. As I mentioned, I, I, I love the book. Can't rec- recommend it enough. So important for where we are today in this crazy world. We can all, breathing this way doesn't cost anything. You can do it anywhere. You don't have to sweat and it can save your life. 
I second that. Yeah, there's there's no point not to. You can you can do it while watching Tiger King or you can do it while meditating, whatever you want. We carry our breath with us all the time. And so if you focus those breaths, you can work more efficiently. You can really see some profound benefits. Well, amen to that, James. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.